What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome back to the show. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And we are joined, as always, by our super producer, Noel Brown in spirit. Actually, today we have our producer, also super, Tyler uh, iOS Clang. <laughs> Tyler Big Brother Clang. Oh, boy. Tyler Titan. Tyler Titan Clang. Oh, yeah. yes, that's it. Home run, Scott. Gotta be a little bit alliterative, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's let tough me, to say. It's tough. Uh it's tough to say Tyler the Titan. I'm at the a little bit alliterative. Oh, alliterative is also. I have also... to be very deliberate about that. <laughs> deliberative? <laughs> don't don't mess me up now. I'm I'm on a roll. <laughs> All right. Well, uh while you're while you're rolling, while we still got a hot take going on here, <laughs> I wanted to ask you by way of um setup or segue into today's episode, Scott, have you ever owned an iPhone? No, I have not. I'm a, I'm an Android guy. You are and have always been an Android guy. Yeah, exactly. And uh, my daughter has an, uh, an iPhone, um, loves it, you know, enjoys it. But uh, and I, I just have never really had any kind of experience at all with one. Yeah, I myself used to have an iPhone uh, a while back, and I made a switch to Androids. Uh, and I haven't looked back. I don't have any real, you know, fundamental big criticism of the iPhone. It's just the Android tended to work better for my purposes. Oh, you know, got it. I was a little bit outside of Apple's famous sandbox. Mm-hmm. And Apple's sandbox, what we're referring to, which, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of you have probably heard that phrase before, uh, sandbox in the world of tech refers to this idea that, uh, let's say, the user of a certain company's technology or software like an Apple user, would live entirely in Apple's ecosystem. So you've got your iPhone, and that means it also syncs up to, you know, the MacBook you own or your... Yeah, the it, iPod or whatever. Right. iPad. iPad, yes. And that you use services like iTunes to get your music or Apple's TV service to watch uh, television and, and film. And for many people, this works really well because they're able to say, well, the all the possible things that could happen are 
both knowable and fixable. And tested. Well, to some some degree. To some degree. (laughs) And so Apple, as we know, is a leviathan in the world of technology, right? Uh, They've made so, so much money off of the iPhone in particular, but also off of desktops, uh, off of laptops, and off of tablets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, the iPod changed the music industry the same way that the Sony Walkman changed the music industry. Sure. So the big question on a lot of people's minds back uh, in the time of Steve Jobs and his glory days as the strongman of Apple was – what are they going to think of next? What are they going to build next? Because they have such a large amount of capital that they can throw money at, well, let's say almost anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have enough money that if they wish, they could start participating in the private side of the space race, which, spoiler alert, we don't, that's not what this show's about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news. All right. Well, yeah, there's a possibility that they could get involved with uh, with automobiles, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, they did, but it was a short-lived effort from 1915 to 1917 when there were the Apple Car Company. Oh, wait, did we? Did, oh, oh, no, yes. Oh, did I study the wrong car? <laughs> Ben's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> You're from a different time. No, you know, I, I, was, I was waiting for a moment to tee that up, but uh, I, didn't get as, I didn't get as far into it as I thought before you wanted to stop me. So I figure we'll just stop there. But yes, there was an Apple car company yes. from 1915 to 1917, and it was uh, the Apple Model 8, and there was a fire that ended that whole thing. But anyways, I was trying to be funny. Felt <laughs> fell very flat because... Uh, uh, ben thought I was serious, but I didn't mean to um, cut you off. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine. But uh, it, I kind of expected, you know, some of that. But um, yeah, they're they're going to get into automobile manufacturing, or so we thought. That was kind of the rumor from about what 2010 on that they right. were going to build an Apple car. They were going to actually build their own uh, piece of hardware that would then use all of their software inside, and it would be like this connected vehicle, right? This electric mm-hmm. car, or they, they surmised that it would be electric. It wasn't really stated ever, you know, what the powertrain would be, but it was guessed that it was going to be electric. Right. Um, and of course, it would run all of Apple's operating, you know, the, the, uh, the iOS would be all Apple, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, well, we've had some news recently. There's, uh, I don't know how far into this you want to get right now, but there's been some real recent updates to this. Right. Um, but, but way back in 2008 is when Steve Jobs first went to um, an outside company, and I have it somewhere here. I will have to uh, look it up. I'm caught flat-footed without oh, it, but the, he went somewhere. Uh, manufacturer of the V vehicle, right? Yes, that's right, and had suggested that he wanted to get into uh, looking at making a, a, a lightweight vehicle that was far more efficient than what's already out there. And that was the general idea. You know, it wasn't really didn't go too much farther than that because uh, not long after that, Steve Jobs decided to shift his focus to strictly the iPhone. He wanted to really develop that and make that work well instead of trying to split his efforts between iPhone, you know, uh, development and this enormous project of building a car. Oh, yeah. And it's an enormous project. It's difficult to it's difficult to really emphasize how. Uh, how complicated building a car, quote unquote, from scratch is. And we know that you may have heard in past episodes, listeners, when Scott and I discussed this, we know that there are numerous examples of even state-sponsored initiatives failing. And by state-sponsored, we mean not just, you know, 
Henry Ford or the Dodge brothers working on something in their garages. We mean a government of a country throwing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into creating their own car industry only to ultimately end up taking a bath on it and going back and buying from foreign manufacturers. Yeah, that's a really, really difficult game to break into. And uh, that's why, you know, when we talk about Tesla, I mean, they, what they've done really is remarkable when you consider oh, yeah. w- what they came from, like how they how they built themselves up so quickly and how, how much of a household name they've become mm-hmm. and what they've done with this. And they're able to produce vehicles that are on the street which we don't see that from these other startups. Like, you know, think about uh, companies like Elio Motors. They're trying to do something pretty darn simple. I mean, I'll say pretty darn simple. It's not simple at all, but the car itself is simple. It's got – it uses a lot of existing components put together to to make this really simple – simple vehicle that is supposed to be really really great and we've talked about this in, in other episodes mm-hmm. and why it's not working it's, it all comes down to money at this point um, but um, it, it, that just goes to show you that's one case example of how hard this could be and there's many many I mean there's thousands of these yeah. if you go back in the last hundred years for every Tesla there are 20 Elios Easily, <laughs> yeah, probably. I would say more, actually. Uh, well, okay, and there's there's even another one that we're going to bring up today that uh, let's we'll just mention now. Faraday Future. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that one a little <laughs> bit as we get yes. into this. Okay, so the this may be a, a stunning fact uh, for a lot of people, and it surprised me in the course of our investigation here uh, that Apple really was planning on building a car before they built the iPhone. Just like Scott said, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I thought the decision already came about as a, um, well, we built the iPhone and we have all of the money, so let's see what's happening with these cars. But so as Scott said, uh, Steve Jobs considered developing an Apple car, and he met with the guy who manufactured this thing called the V vehicle. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, V vehicle. Uh, It was created by an industrial designer named Brian Thompson. And after they had kicked around some ideas, they actually met in 2010 to discuss what Thompson wanted to do with this car. And it was also Steve Jobs' sort of personal fact-finding mission Mm -hmm. uh, about manufacturing costs, about plastics and stuff. Because Thompson wanted the V vehicle to be lightweight, petroleum-powered, built with cheaper materials – and uh, sold for fourteen thousand, which is a very, very low price for a four seater. Oh, extremely low. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, especially here in this market, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to sell a car here in the United States, there are certain federal mandates that have to be in place, mm-hmm. and that that's a lot of like. Well, you know what? Come to think of it, now going back to two thousand eight, there were far fewer of these. I mean, there are a lot more now. Right. But right. still, fourteen thousand. Even then, that was still a uh, that was a bargain. That's really yeah. Bargain is a nice way to say it. I I'm very skeptical of that price point. Well, yeah, that's. You know, we we hear that all the time. They'll start out with fourteen thousand, then that becomes sixteen thousand, then eighteen, and then pretty soon it's twenty four thousand. Yep, and it just goes up and up and up from there. And, and it finally hits the market around thirty two <laughs> or thirty four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and that's with a company that builds cars, right? That you actually know? builds cars. Yeah. So the materials that they used in this vehicle were going to be uh, we're going to make it forty percent lighter than a normal steel made vehicle, and According to the calculations, and this comes from Mac Rumors, it would cost 70% less to manufacture. Hmm. And, of course, once you put on the famous Apple tax, which is just the premium people pay for any Apple product. I like Apple Jacks. 
<laughs> you yeah, you love good. apple jacks. No, they're good. With just uh, like regular <laughs> milk, they uh, it makes the milk taste really good at the end. You know, when it's done, it has yeah. kind of a fruity. Wait, <laughs> yes. I'm having trouble with my hearing today. Did you say apple jacks? Yeah, but apple jacks were uh, the same company that originally started the apple car in <laughs> All 1915. Right. All right. right, I'll knock off the corny jokes, okay? Because it's just not working. It's really not. Uh, You're too kind, laughing. <laughs> I'm honestly, honestly, I'm laughing because you'll drop, you'll drop the joke and then be disappointed in yourself. I know. Later, <laughs> when I'm listening to this, I'm going to consider edit, editing this out, but we'll see if it makes it. How about that? We'll see if it makes it. Yeah. Dylan, keep it in. <laughs> Our editor, Dylan, is, is going to do me a solid and yeah. keep those in. And you too, right. ladies and gentlemen. Right. So as Scott said, Despite these meetings, they eventually, they eventually decided to focus entirely on the iPhone, but the dream of the Apple car never fully left the company's conscious. No, 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 no. They wanted to do it and they kept this, this dream alive and they started even recruiting, uh, individuals from different car companies, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, they pulled a lot of people that came from Tesla over into this program. And when I say a lot, I mean they were, well, okay, first of all, they were recording, recruiting people from, uh, different automobile manufacturers as well. People are Coming from Ford, Mercedes, they're they're coming from all over the place, right? right? Uh, I'm trying to think of the laundry list of names that I saw, you know, like where the recruitment came from. But um, there were a lot, and I think at one point I heard that they had 600 employees working on this program, this program already. Yeah, and the goal was 1,000. Yeah, the the green light they had from. Uh the CEO was to get 1,000 employees. Okay, so this is kind of funny, right? Because this is uh, this is a program that they're calling kind of like a secret program, right? Like it's a secret car. And they, they refer to the secret car program uh, throughout all these articles that we've read, you know, the, the research. But everybody in the industry knows what's going on. Like uh, Elon Musk, he knows what's going on, of course, because, you know, he's this sure. back and forth, uh, what they call a poaching war uh-huh. with, uh, with, with Apple because um, – Apple is taking his employees, you know, his ex-engineers, mm-hmm. and then using them. And then he's also kind of taking employees from them and, and you know, it's working both ways, I guess. So that, you know, it's like the, they call it a poaching war. And it's also what he calls like the biggest open secret in the automobile industry, you know, that, uh, yeah, Apple's got this secret program, but we all know exactly what's going on. And I think a lot of people are in that same position. It's not just him. A lot of people know what they're up to. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. we're reading, we're reading about it today. It, there, there are articles all over the place in places like Mac Rumors and uh, Bloomberg and, you right. know, Wall uh, Street Journal. Yeah. And okay. All the other auto blogs too. Jalopnik yeah. and, you sure. know, any, anywhere else automobile has got auto one. trader even. Yeah. They've all got articles about the Apple car. So again, it's like a, the, the worst kept secret car program ever <laughs> because when you amass, you know, a thousand engineers to work on something, you know that they're up to something. People talk. Yeah. Uh, so there, here's another example of how much of an open secret this is. Oh, and let me correct myself. I said auto trader. What I meant to say was car and driver. No, it's all right. Uh, so uh, here's here's something that happened uh, in back in, what would it be, February 2015? People started spotting what they called a mysterious van with a strange, <laughs> I'm quoting here, strange apparatus on its roof. Uh-huh. The car, it turns out, was leased to Apple. It's a Dodge. It was a Dodge Caravan. And so the big guess here was, is Apple testing out some sort of mapping technology similar to Google Street View or Google Maps? Or are they doing something different and much more ambitious? Are they attempting to build 
a self-driving car. Yeah, because what we're, what the people are seeing in the I guess the uh, is it San Francisco Bay Area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were seeing these you know like well I think the one in the photo here is a Dodge minivan, uh, but it's a minivan where the entire roof rack is covered with sensors of some kind, and they, they you know of course it's going to draw attention. Um, you know I, I suppose in that area there are a lot of other test vehicles running around there with uh, right. you know, I'm sure Uber with their self-driving vehicles were probably working it on test at this time. Sure. Um, there's also of course Google as you've mentioned. As you mentioned, and then there's other sites that you know just do uh, surveying and things like that that also have you know vehicles kind of like this. But this one stood out; it was something new. And they, uh, they, they again, all you have to do is trace the, uh, the the license plate and yeah registration back to Apple, and you know kind of well they're they're up to something. And plus, that feeds into all the rumors that have been going on for the previous five years. Yeah, and also uh, people did confirm that there were drivers in the vans, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, one of the arguments you would hear against the concept of Apple having an autonomous vehicle program was that there are six companies at the time that were licensed to build and test autonomous vehicles. Yeah, so they had to have a driver in the seat, though. That's the right. that's part of the rule. And I think yeah. even even to this day, to, I mean, to date when this podcast releases, they're supposed to have a driver in them. It's not a fully autonomous system yet. Even uh, I'll, maybe this will date our podcast, but uh, last Friday mm-hmm. there was some uh, some kind of a scuffle with uh, a scuff up, I guess maybe with. Uh, um, Uber and their autonomous systems. They were supposed to re- uh, release fully autonomous um, Uber vehicles in San Francisco. And as part of the, you know, kind of to get around the rules, I guess, uh, they had to have somebody in in the car that could, could also jump in and take control if they wanted to, but they're not driving really. Yeah. And uh, there was a problem. They, they ran a red light almost immediately that same day. <laughs> they were caught on a dash cam. And uh, then they, they they go back to say, like, well, now we're not going to allow them to do it. They found out that Uber never really pulled the permits to do that. So they were in the wrong from the beginning to do that. So uh, they're in a little bit of trouble. And I would guess that, um, you know, early on and, you know, this is what, a, c- a couple of years ago, um, at least two years ago, right, at this point, uh-huh. um, if if they were – in fact, testing an autonomous vehicle, you know that they had to have a driver in place. So it's kind of like you could see it and not really understand fully what's going on because if there was a person in there and they are testing autonomous, you wouldn't really know that unless you were able to have some kind of inside information or um, you know talk to somebody in the know there. Um, you know, yeah. or maybe the driver themselves, but they're not going to cough up that information for you. Exactly. Um, uh, and speaking of coughing up information – we know about that stuff, uh, that poaching war between Tesla and Apple because of an employee leak. Uh, it was only days after the mysterious van was first spotted in February of 2015, so either February or March of, of that same year, that an unknown Apple employee contacted Business Insider and told them about this project. Hmm. And then – Disgruntled employee, maybe. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Or was it a planned leak? That's the other thing is that sometimes they do that, right? Yeah, I always think about that too. Um, Or maybe it was a former uh, employee of another company who now worked for Apple. Oh, could be. But I I would not be surprised if it was a controlled leak. Uh, But what happened then was that people started digging around. So Financial Times – finds out about this uh, so-called top-secret research lab and how they were hiring former Mercedes-Benz researchers uh, like, um, oh, the R&D exec, Johan Youngworth. Uh, and then they also thought, well, maybe Apple is just building a software platform, right? Like Google 
doesn't build the majority of Android phones, Google provides the software. Yeah, sure. I mean, but then I guess maybe if you look at the the group as a whole, like who who they're employing. Right. I mean, and what they did, because there were Volkswagen engineers, there were Ford engineers, Bosch engineers, Delphi research scientists mm-hmm. uh, with former expertise in autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, so that some of that points to, of course, what you're saying, you know, that it's software. But um, then you get people that are, you know, we're in charge of manufacturing. And, you know, they have the smarts, they have the, they can answer the questions, I guess, about how you build a car. Like how to, cause, you know, if you're jumping in, you know, both feet on this thing, you don't really know exactly, um, where to start even. And it's a very difficult process to figure out how many, you know, what suppliers you're gonna need, uh, what type of, um, what type of facility you're gonna need even. Right. What, what type of plant are you gonna need to build a car? I mean, you can go look at the, the current manufacturing plants, but then you gotta realize that they have suppliers outside that bring in the raw materials or bring in the components to be assembled. There, it could just be an assembly plant. Right. Um, it's it's far more complex than um, than just you know, just again just jumping in with both feet and saying, I think I'm going to start my own car company this year. Uh, you can't do that. It's a, it's like a decade long build up yeah. process. You it's, can't do that anymore. No, I'm over explaining this. It's <laughs> no, just it's it's, it's very complex. And and I think if they looked at the group of people that they gathered, you know, the 600 known employees or, you know, whatever, or 1,000 or whatever mm-hmm. it was, uh, they could probably surmise exactly what's going on. Yeah, I think it's just – it's not like reading tea leaves. There are definite, uh, there are definite indications there. So then just like – just a few hours after this speculation began, the Wall Street Journal drops a bomb on the community and says – no, they're not building a software p- platform. Apple is creating an electric vehicle, and it's been working on this since 2014. And the Wall Street sources uh, said that this electric vehicle looked kind of like a minivan, and it was being built under the code name Project Titan. Yeah, Project Titan. Tighten uh, it up. <laughs> yeah, they're tightening it. <laughs> well, you got to say it. Why not? <laughs> You're on fire today, uh, man. Not, What's going not, on? Not really. No. No. <laughs> I think we think we're funny. <laughs> I think I think you're funny, and you don't think you're funny. All right. uh, but the uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, it was called Project Titan. Uh, this was led by a guy named Steve Zadesky, Apple VP of Product Design, and he was under uh, Dan Riccio, and they have been given the go ahead by the CEO at the time, Tim Cook, to recruit. Upwards of a thousand employees, both inside and outside of uh, Apple as it existed. And they started meeting with these different manufacturers to see who could help them create the car if the project continued. So they talked to some surprising, surprising people. Uh, one was a group called Magnus Stare, uh, and then one was BMW. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea was that maybe they would use the BMW electric i3 body as kind of the base for this Apple car. And um, I guess the whole thing, you know, the, all the talks, I guess, ended without a deal. And since the i3 is a small hatchback with a, a carbon fiber shell, they were thinking that this is kind of the direction that, uh, that, that Apple wants to go with this vehicle. They want it to be, um, you know, something small, lightweight, right. um, versatile, I guess, mm-hmm. in that way. But, uh, you know, the i3, that's a really small vehicle. It's a, um, it's a city car. Uh, yeah, exactly right. But again, they didn't make any deal with them at all. And in fact, they tried with both Daimler and BMW, but again, 
Uh, there were questions over who would lead the company and which company would have ownership over the data, et cetera. There were a lot of like logistic details that they couldn't get hammered out. Right. But then there was a very interesting client that they talked to, right? Oh, man, this would have been so cool, even if it were disastrous. Apple also started talking with McLaren. Mm-hmm. Yes, you guys, that McLaren. Yep, that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Now, what would have happened? Do you think they would have developed a uh, an all new platform again, like a like a small hatchback car, like they were looking for? I mean, how interesting would that be to be able to to pair McLaren and Apple for Ooh. a an all new vehicle that yeah. maybe. Uh, you know, McLaren, since they're involved, I don't know. I would say inf- affordable, but it, again, no. if it's a carbon fiber body, right. McLaren's involved. It's going to be lightweight, of course. That was what they're searching for. McLaren is like, well, I mean, Lotus, McLaren, those guys, they're, they're pretty much kings at making v- lightweight vehicles. Yeah. Um, Lotus especially. But, but not affordable um, ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, is what would the price of that thing be? So. Maybe it's better off that uh, – but, well, you know what? Here's the other thing about McLaren. We, mm. we have talked about McLaren um, in the past and their their rapid development and how many new ideas they test, and it was something crazy, wasn't it? I, I, don't, I don't have it on the tip of my tongue right oh, now. Oh, yeah, but yeah. It was like a, a new idea every hour and a half or something ridiculous like that. And And these could range from very specific things such as small improvements to one aspect of a powertrain to much bigger Things like, you know, carbon fiber was one of those every hour and a half ideas. Yeah. Or you could just say, like, if, you, if you're if you low on ideas for that moment, you could just say, like, well, let's just drill some speed holes in that thing. And you know, see like, what happens. Yeah, speed holes. Speed holes. Yeah. <laughs> and someone's like, good, speed holes. Love it. That's <laughs> lunch, people. Where's the drill press? Can you bring uh, up the three-inch yeah. drill? So uh, the, the reason that these talks failed, at least the Daimler and BMW, I, I think we should go back and look at this again, Scott, because you did mention it. Reputedly, it was caused over disagreements about who would control the data. And mm-hmm. cars produce a, a whole lot of information. I almost used a different word, but we're a family show. Oh, I understand. Yeah. They, they produced a lot, they produced a lot of information. Location data, uh, driving time, like your time of day, your duration of a drive, and then what you listen to, and especially in Apple's case, uh, what sort of advertising you respond to as well. Cause, you know, let's think of, let's admit it. Like we're getting closer and closer, uh, to a world, uh, it might not be super common while you and I are alive, Scott, but for anybody who has, uh, kids right now, your kids are probably going to see a car that is at least partially based on ad revenue. Yeah. Now, isn't this crazy? We're, we're talking about something like that. They're, they're, they're arguing over things like that. Who owns this data? And we're talking about a lot of data again, stuff that would be stored to the cloud, of course. Right. Um, but it's causing negotiation difficulties in a, a car deal here in 2015. It's so strange when you think about how far-sighted that is. It, it is. They, they, they haven't gotten over the hurdle yet of figuring out what v, like what their vehicle is going to be like. Now, again, I guess maybe in the case of BMW and Daimler that they probably already had – well, of course, they had the i3 in place. So right. it would be, it'd be using that as their platform. But – if they were trying, if they're really trying to develop their own vehicle, their own, like a brand new, all new vehicle, mm-hmm. why are they arguing over who owns the, the data at this point? I mean, maybe later, sure, that has a place, of course. Sure. But that shouldn't cause the whole negotiation to fall apart this early on. It's like, it, it seems crazy. Like it's you said, like starting a, starting a band 
and quitting the same day because you guys can't agree on percentages from T-shirt sales. <laughs> or the uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the platinum record. Uh, like who, who's going to keep the platinum record at their house? Right. Who does the speech at the Grammys, you guys? <laughs> Screw yeah. this. I'm leaving the garage. Yeah, I'm out. I'm going Find s- another marimba prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going solo. Uh, so uh, speaking of going places, we are going to tell you a little bit more about why that argument was so important, along with the evolution of the Apple car, after a quick word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And Ben, you said uh, you had something to tell us right after the break. Okay. It's because of that sandbox mentality. I'll say it. I'm sure even our resident tech expert, Jonathan Strickland over at Tech Stuff, will agree with me on this uh, because data is such a big, big business. And the collection of uh, of that data for Apple's side does a lot more than just inform them thoroughly about their drivers. It also gives them the opportunity to learn about 
cities because these are city cars. It becomes incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it does. It's a, it's a really valuable resource for them, and it's something that they're just gathering all the time. We're, we're creating that for them. Right, and Apple is notoriously controlling, and most car companies are also notoriously controlling. So, of course, they're going to run into situations where they're at loggerheads because Apple is going to say, Apple's going to come in um, maybe in some ways the way that Walmart comes into suppliers and its supply chain and says, okay, we will pay X. And then they say, and the supplier, in this case the car manufacturer, is like, well, that's not the way we do things. Let's have a conversation. And they say, okay, our conversation is that we will pay X. <laughs> That's it, right? Good day to you, sir. However, we do want uh, 800 truckloads of X. Right, exactly. Uh, um, at, at X price. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a better way to say it, I guess. Right, and, and, yeah. and then they, they raise their eyebrows like, wait a minute, this could be uh, – that's our manufacturing for the full year. So, okay, we'll take that deal. Right. And so this, this is not – like, guys, I'm not in any way saying that – Apple is wrong for this or that car manufacturers are wrong for it. That's just how this sort of business works. And Apple's in that position where if they're playing a very dangerous game, uh, a very high-risk game like building a car line, that they have to go in knowing exactly what they want and exactly – and they have to find a partner that will satisfy that stuff to the T. There can't be any gray area because a gray area is what sinks the ship. Yeah, it sounds like they're trying, they're trying, at this point, they're trying to do the right thing, right? They're trying right. To, to narrow that down. Like, do we want to build our own product or do we want to use an existing li- product line? Like, right. do we want to use that i3 or would we rather have our own car right from the beginning? We can control everything right from the start, but it's far more difficult to do it that way. Right. That's would the it, problem. And yeah. what would they call it? Would it be the BMW i3 by Apple? Or, <laughs> yeah, you know well, what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it would be really strange. I mean, I guess there would be enough changes that it would make it distinctive in its own, you know, its mm-hmm. own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but would it even be badged, uh, you know, BMW? Or, you know, how would that, right. how would that work? I mean, it, again, it's all you know, questions that, uh, you know, again, they couldn't even come up with an answer at that right. point. And so the project continued despite these, these bumps along the road. And I don't even think these were bumps so much as fact finding missions, maybe. Mm-hmm. And in January of 2016, Steve Zadesky, who was in charge of this, uh, let, began leaving the company. He announced his plans to leave. And a guy named Bob Mansfield took over the electric vehicle development team. Uh, he had, interestingly enough, been retired from Apple since 2012. And Zadesky's departure kind of led to a uh, pushback on the delivery date because they had kind of they have a date they were shooting for, and it was around 2020. Right. And they had at that point they said, okay, now that Zadesky's gone, uh, we're going to shove that back to 2021. Uh, we need a little bit more time, a little bit more time, you know, for this uh, this transition period to work out. But it sounds like they got the right guy in the job, right? I mean, somebody mm-hmm. coming back that uh, already had interest in the company. Yeah, and obviously he's a loyal company man because mm-hmm. even after retirement, he stayed on to advise on different projects. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when Mansfield joined the project uh, in 2016 in summer of this year, uh, he shifted the focus away from a human-driven electric car 
to an autonomous vehicle, which is a completely different ball game. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a completely different ball of wax, right? So mm-hmm. um, the technology or the underlying technology required for this uh, for this would then take the forefront instead of you know trying to come up with the idea of a brand new car. So um, you know, actually building an automobile. So um, at this point, the uh, the information that came out was that the work on the actual car had kind of ceased to to uh, to continue to grow right. while they were working on more of the software end of this thing, like the technology, how it would work yeah. um, if it was an autonomous car. And speculation uh, went wild uh, as soon as news also emerged that Apple had let go of dozens of the employees that it earlier hired to work on this project. Now, uh, it looks like Mansfield has set up, he's reporting directly to the CEO at this time, Tim Cook, right? And again, this is just middle of this year, towards the end of this year, even. Yeah, yeah. And so here's how their setup is working now. The current speculation was that Apple was, uh, originally, people thought Apple was pursuing a two pronged approach. So they were still working on a car and the software to power it. And Mansfield had organized three distinct teams, a software team, a sensor team, and a hardware engineering team. However, the some of the latest reports show us that Apple shifted fully toward autonomous uh, vehicles and software, that driving system, and that hundreds of employees have either left or uh, had their uh, had their job duties shifted to a different a different project or a different department. And so at the moment it looks like Apple is not in fact moving forward with creating a physical car, right? Right. And uh the the thing about this is that a lot of people are bummed about the idea. I'll admit you know, I probably would it, – it would take a lot for me to buy an Apple car. We can go into the pros and cons of this later in the show. Sure. But just conceptually, I think it's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it's, an, inter- it's an interesting idea. Sure. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't I, – I still am not completely persuaded that it would work for there to be, you know, the Apple iDrive. Or whatever they would end up calling it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably what they would call it. Yeah, you something. I drive is not bad. That's not bad. That's pretty good. If it was autonomous, it would be the I ride. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's, you're probably right. You're probably exactly right. But uh, well, they have the Apple CarPlay uh, system already, right? And that's kind of like an integrated, uh, you know, like a, an app system, I guess, for your car. Like it runs everything, all the uh, navigation and everything. So, um, and and I suppose like you know where restaurants are in town and all that stuff. I can't remember exactly what all uh, is included with the Apple CarPlay um, app. But um, again, it's one of those things that you load in your vehicle and it just takes care of everything for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. How about that? Um, <laughs> There are some people that you know said it never would happen, and I want to talk about that later in the in the program as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's here's this other thing that we need to, to kind of mention here is sure. that they also have a bunch of like secret campuses all over the place, right? Oh yeah, and this is so cool. so so they've got like the headquarters, right? And yeah. that's uh, is that in Sunnydale? I think is the name of the place. Sunnydale, uh, Cupertino. Oh, Cupertino. Okay, yeah. it's Cupertino, and. Um, Maybe one of them is uh, somewhere. Anyways, there's some secret locations, I guess, but they're not really secret. It's just other places that are kind of you know set up with um, 
as headquarters, I suppose, for right. different groups. And one of those is supposed to be in Sunnyvale. And okay, Sunnyvale, that's it. And if you if you look for a, a company called Sixty Eight Research or search the the, the Google search, uh, you know, for Sixty Eight Research, you'll find some information about the Apple Car and uh, all this speculation about what they do at these different locations all around California. And uh, and I don't know, I just find it interesting that, you know, they think they're operating under the radar, sort of, but they're not really. Um, the other thing, Ben, and here's where this uh, the Faraday future comes back in here. A lot of people have said that, remember the, the Faraday future car that we talked about back in 2015? We talked about it early in 20, I'm sorry, it was 2016. Uh-huh. Uh, we had a, an entire episode on the Faraday future and this electric car that came out. It was... Um, I think it was from there was an ex Tesla employee involved in that as well, and a uh, a guy from China. He was a tech tycoon of some kind. I don't remember what he did. He was like with television or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was it like Ned Chuxing? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. just off the. <laughs> you just remember that, right? Right. You right, didn't look right. it up or anything. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh no, of course not. Um, but they said that uh, you know, in, with Faraday Future building that billion dollar factory, and I know that there's been some news about that recently too. Right. They were behind on payments or something, but. People thought that the Faraday Future thing, the whole thing, was like a shell company for the Apple car to take hold, you know, without people really uh, paying too much attention. But I guess I, I don't buy that because there was a lot of attention focused on that Faraday Future car. Yeah. And if if that was the case, they would do something that would be a little bit more um, uh, mundane, you know, something that wouldn't draw quite as much attention as, well, here's a Chinese electric car that's building a plant, a billion-dollar plant in the southwest somewhere. And, uh, you know, or was it in Las Vegas, I think, maybe, or somewhere near there? Mm-hmm. Or somewhere. I don't remember where it was, New Mexico or somewhere. Um, but they they, uh, they drew a lot of attention with that. And I would say that if they're trying to cover for the Apple car, that was doing a terrible job of it. I don't buy the, the <laughs> Shell company thing. Oh, um, yeah. Do you, do you think that's the case, or do you think... Um, not, not really. I mean, and the money gets sticky at this point because this is a developing rarefied field so another interesting part is this uh is this little wrinkle scott uh uber recently announced a merging of its chinese operations with this uh with the operations of this ride hailing service dd uh Tuxing, which i'm woefully mispronouncing and apologize to any mandarin speakers but because apple has a stake in that company, that means that the uh, the lines are blurring. Yeah. Uber and Apple are a little more related. They're a bit closer than they were a month ago. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and I think I remember the interesting. Uh, I, I think I remember the interesting detail about Project Titan that we had talked about off air. What was that? It goes back to those secret, quote unquote, secret buildings. Yeah, the locations all over California, right? Right. They have uh, these Greek mythological names, right? There's, okay. uh, there's a, uh, a Zeus and Athena, things like that. These are all related to Titans, right? Uh huh. They're all Titans. They're all Titans. So yeah, they could so all be. That's part of why people think they're all part of Project Titan. And, and that's the tie-in again with this sixty-eight research thing. Is that mm-hmm. some of them are branded as sixty-eight research? So, in, anyways, if yeah. you dig into this, you'll find some really interesting connections. And of course, people are constantly. I mean, all over the place, there are articles about people trying to tie together these little clues and trying to figure out what's going on and what they're doing. Because yeah. even though it's this massive program, and like I guess insiders like Elon Musk and you know other um, automobile 
manufacturers kind of know what's going on. They know the, what they're up to, basically. Like, I'm sure Google knows. Well, sure. But the thing is, no one knows all of the details. No one really, except the inside, the true insiders. Right. So it's it's pretty interesting to see what's happening. Yeah. I wonder I wonder how much of this is truth that, you know, they have shifted their focus away from building a car into just going with the software and the package that um, would be inside the vehicle rather than, you know, the whole thing itself, like the whole package itself, the hardware. Um, if they, it would be quite a shock to have them reveal maybe in the middle of next year or in 2018 or 19 mm-hmm. or whenever. Hey, by the way, we were developing a car, and here it is. It's the ready. Whole time. It's ready for the road. But um, there's someone who uh, argues against that, and uh, maybe we should uh, take a look at this article in just a moment after we take a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Scott, uh, could you give us the headline of this? Because I, I, I love it so much. Oh, sure. Yeah, this is, uh, this is from the LA Times, and it's very recent. It's from October 18th of 2016, so late this year. The title is, Farewell to the Apple Car, A Dream That Was Never Going to Happen. 
Oof. So that's a pretty strong headline, right? Oof, this is from a rough. this is from a colonist. Uh, columnist. His name is uh, <laughs> it's from a colonist. It's from a colonist. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is from a columnist. Columnist. Boy, I can't say it now. A columnist uh, named Michael Hiltzik. And again, it's from October 18th of just this very year. But um, in here, he just basically declares that Apple's getting out of the manufacturing business, as we said. More precisely, according to Bloomberg, it appears that he was uh, that Apple is never really in the car manufacturing business. And of course, there's the uh, the mention of you know the thousand strong team that uh, was was dubbed Project Titan, which are now gone, that have been kind of redistributed throughout the company, as you mentioned, Ben, right. earlier on. And uh, then the idea that. You know, they're still working on building self-driving programs, but stuff that can be sold to existing car makers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, um, you know, like an Apple add-on, I guess, is the idea. Right. And that that sounds much more plausible. And the author of this article does say, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but a lot of other uh, people who write in this field, a lot of other journalists had already predicted this. As did heads of industry, because as did oh my gosh, one of my favorite quotes is in here. <laughs> well, you want to read it? Go ahead. It's, this is from Dan Ackerson, who is an ex CEO of GM, and he's outlining the challenge that Apple faced in car making uh, way back in February of 2015. So, what did he say, Ben? We take steel, raw steel, and turn it into a car. They have no idea what they're getting into if they get into that. Yeah, that's true. It is absolutely I mean, true. That's exactly what we've been saying, and that's what they've faced. They've they've seen this for the last six years now, in you know trying to ramp up this program, right? Um, and that's why after six years they decided, you know, maybe it's something that we're not really capable of, or, or again, are they hiding it? Maybe they are capable of it. We'll right. see. Well, that would be one heck of a caper because this this point that he makes, uh, if we go and look at it in in a little more detail, so. Let's look at it this way, with uh, with phone technology or with uh, tablet or iPod technology. Apple outsources the manufacturing of the phone to a contractor called Foxconn, which you've probably heard about. And <laughs> yes. that doesn't fly with cars, though. There is no manufacturing contractor option that can operate on the scale needed to create a commercially viable vehicle. Exactly right. Yeah. So uh, there's there's a, a really difficult thing here, and that's that's building a car company from scratch. Um, and you're also overestimating the potential market too. There's a there's something I want to mention here about the market in just a minute. But here's here's a and I, I will get to it. I promise. But um, there's, there's a couple of reasons why the doubters like this guy, this uh, this Michael Hiltzik, because mm-hmm. um, he I think he's doubted it all along why it would never happen. Um, but this is the reason why they may be why they may be right, the doubters, um, and, or at least the reasons why they can or what they can point to to say why I'm doubting them. So the standard comeback was, uh, you know, well, you remember the iPhone, the iPad, they they quickly developed those, right? And they came came kind of out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of those products did. They were brand new. But here's the thing: the, the few problems with those with those notions are that. Um, there was like a, a hyped environment that they were entering into. Apple was really on top of their game when they announced this. When mm-hmm. they announced that they were going to, you know, come out with this this car, they were in, they were in what he calls a, a PR sweet spot. The company had just recorded a blowout quarterly financial result, uh, driven by the financial success of the iPhone six launch. Well, with new Apple Watch was still lurking on the horizon, which uh oh, you know what happened there? That was <laughs> that was great. Um, and uh, and then right after that, I mean, um, of course, you know. Uh, 
before it kind of dropped because the watch was kind of a uh, well he calls it a relative yawn and the company's stock lost something like 30% of its value Ouch. between February of 2015 and mid-May of this year uh before it somewhat kind of recovered from that slide you know it's coming back a little bit and the other thing was that um, the optimists under, underestimated the challenge of creating a car company from scratch, as we've said all along, and the potential market. Now, this is what I was going to talk about here is the potential market. Um, and you mentioned, you know, building to this scale and being able to right. outsource and all that, right? Well, there's a guy named um, uh, Henry Blodgett, and he's of the Business Insider, and he calculated that the entire worldwide automobile market of about 88 million vehicles a year wasn't big enough to generate more than a modest boost to Apple's annual sales and profit. Can you believe that? Which stood last year at $234 billion and $53 billion, respectively. So annual sales, $234 billion. Annual profit last year was $53 billion for Apple. So if you took all of the 88 million vehicles a year, and and they were all Apple vehicles, you still wouldn't even create what he calls a modest boost to Apple's annual sales and profit. Right. They would have to have an enormous market share, and they would have to be making 50% profit on, the, <laughs> on every vehicle sold. A 50% profit. Now, okay, here's the here's the problem with that. Is, as this guy points out, you can achieve one or the other, but not both. So you can achieve either um, – um, like with products like niche products, like the, like Porsche or Ferrari or something, yeah, where they have cars. yeah, well, they have like sizable margins, like you right. know, a pretty decent profit on these right. things because they sell for huge dollar amounts. Um, or you can produce these mass market vehicles with razor slim margins, but you can't do both. I mean, to do both, um, you can try it, but you're not going to be able to do it. It's like it's like just an impossible task, really, in the world of you know automotive production. And then this guy, the, this uh, this this person, um, what's his name? Michael? Did I say? Yeah, Michael Hiltzik. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say that um, there's another thing that that Apple fans kind of missed out on too, and that traditionally, um, you know. Technical advances within the autom- automobile industry are profitable. You can you can create something technically advanced and, and make a lot of money in the auto industry. That's the real money. But you can't advance the vehicles all that much themselves. And and right. you can now it can be done. I'm not saying it's impossible, but right now, uh, like he points out here, he says um, uh, the real money to be made right now likely yeah. is an advance in the process of making the cars themselves, not the cars themselves. And he goes back to all the way back to Henry Ford. He says, you know, Henry Ford didn't invent the car; he pioneered the assembly line. He made it better. Remember, mm-hmm. he made it he made it a, a much uh, um, much more efficient. Yeah, exactly. He just improved on what was already there. So he says that you know the next big thing in automobiles isn't necessarily going to be um, you know an all new car. It's going to be a better way to make that car. Right. And this is a great point too. There's a little bit of psychology that comes into play. And it's the expectation, the brand expectation of a consumer, of a car buyer, right? A would-be car owner is probably, if given the choice between a car that is $34,000, four-door sedan, make whatever your pick is, most regular car you could imagine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And everything's average. And then there's another car that's the same price but has three wheels, Mm-hmm. Or five wheels. People are overwhelmingly going to go with the, the vehicle they know. People tend to, especially with a purchase of that magnitude in the average in the average person's life, uh, people are going to tend to stick with what they know works. So reinventing the car is a very, very tricky 
proposition, reinventing, even if we wanted to go more broad and call it the daily driver. Yeah. Very difficult. Well, people have tried. I mean, people seen, have tried. Yeah, we've seen a lot of advances that are, are – I mean, again, you say three-wheel, and that's an old idea, of course. Right, but, right. Um, but there are new three-wheel vehicles as well. Sure. Uh, there are different powertrains. There's all kinds of things that people are trying to do yeah, to make but, it – but they almost always end up being treated like novelties. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're they're early adopters, I guess. You know, people that jump in and you know have to have it. They got to be the first on the block sure. to get that. And then there are people that kind of you know wait for for that to uh, you know advance a little bit and maybe try out the second generation of that product. And then there are others that will just outright refuse to do it at all. You know, you know? my uh, you might appreciate this. One of the sayings that my grandfather had uh, was he would he would never buy like a new car. Uh, he would wait. Because he wanted to see what broke on people's cars yeah. for a few years before he bought one. That's smart. I That's mean, smart. Yeah, yeah, he was. No, I think it's a smart move. A lot of people won't buy a first-year automobile because the bugs aren't worked out. Right, exactly. Uh, even a first-generation vehicle. I mean, that's not always the case. They might wait just a couple years into production and then buy the first-gen sure. still. But, um you know, people are a little bit uh, leery about something brand new, and I know I, I know that there are some people that just have to have the newest and you know latest and greatest. But those are also the ones that are going to end up, uh, you know, figuring it out with the company what's wrong with that vehicle, right? Uh, well, you know, and, and through a series of trial and error. Here's an example that may be interesting to you. Um, we'll go into this brand expectation thing. Mm-hmm. So let's say. Let's take a home appliance company, Maytag. Okay. Let's say Maytag says, you know what? We're going just gangbusters. We're in three out of five kitchens in America or something. And by the way, folks, I just made that number up. I have no idea. It's probably not three out of five. That's a really high number. But uh, let's say that they somehow get there and they're ecstatic. They're over they're over the moon or over the blender or whatever. And then they say <laughs> <laughs> and they say, you know what? Let's make the a Maytag car, even if it's a good car, sales are going to be garbage because people are going to think like, why would I spend so much money on, you know, trusting this company that makes appliances? Hmm. I think that'd be an interesting comparison for you, Scott, because as you know, uh, many early car companies or several started out as appliance manufacturers. Yeah, see, I was right away. I was thinking, wait a minute, we've talked about this so many times. Yeah. What are you, where are you going with this? Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Though the people people would be leery at first, sure. at first, sure, until it's a proven thing that yeah, they can make a quality vehicle. And uh, so, how long how long would they have to take a loss on that? Five years, a decade? Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, and that's the problem is that. They're trying to. And it would be so expensive to do this, you know, mm-hmm. to to start something like this right now. I mean, I could see. Oh man, here we're talking about like you know federal regulations and stuff. But I mean, uh, it would be a lot cheaper to do this type of thing twenty five years ago. Oh, absolutely, way way cheaper. Way and cheaper. I would for say many reasons. Yeah, I mean, it might already have been done by this point. Of course, it wouldn't be as advanced as it would be today. No, but it would be a lot cheaper endeavor for them to take at that point. You know, and back in nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety. Versus right now, um, and it, you know, to be honest, I mean, there's so many things that are choking, you know, new, new industries like this that you know sure. it's hard for them. I've heard, I've heard the, um, well, right here in Atlanta, uh, the founder of the Home Depot. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he said that if he were to try to start up something like the Home Depot right now, yeah, uh, Arthur Blank, yeah, Arthur Blank, that's it, yeah. Um, he said um, here to try to start the Home Depot right now. 
uh, it would be impossible because of the, uh, the the rules and regulations that are that are in place now versus when he initially started that. And I don't remember when that was. I want to say it's like late 70s or early 80s uh, was when he began that. But um, I think it's the same thing with automobile manufacturing is that it would have been easier for them to jump into this back then. But, again, would they have that much money back then? I mean, Apple was around. They right. just didn't have the the kind of cash they do now, so well, uh, maybe it's just a it's a silly argument to make, I guess. But um, I yeah, it seems like it's a tough environment to do this in. It right is, now. but I I think that all of the signs for a long time were pointing to the um, maybe the more profitable advantage or course of action. Probably is a better way to say it. The more profitable course of action for Apple is to have is to become attached to a. Uh, car manufacturer more than one that has, as the author of this article puts it, Apple inside or yeah. something like BMW i3 with Apple inside. Yeah. Audi, uh, Audi, whichever model you like, Apple inside. Yeah. But OK, then we get back to the same argument that broke down negotiations in early 2015. Yep. Who owns the data? And right. that's the big problem. Like, OK, so it goes it goes off to the cloud. Who controls all that data? Who who has the the rights to all of that information, or do they share it? And then what what does that mean too? What does that mean for us, con, you know, as consumers? What does that mean? Man, it, this gets really really tricky really quickly, doesn't it? I mean, right. it, it it's it, it quickly goes off the cliff, I guess. Um, you could take it in a scary direction, or you could mm. say, well, it's it's harmless. Really, they're just they're just gathering data to make the product better. So. <laughs> Right. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you know, that's the – but I'm saying you, you got two directions, right? You can uh, say like, you know, I, I just am going to close my eyes and think that, you know, everything's going to be fine with this. Sure. Or you can go the opposite way and say uh, this is the end of the world. Let me just try to take some of the derision out of my voice, <laughs> making the world a better place. All right. right. Yeah. Uh, but we have uh, maybe one one last thing before we get into some uh, philosophical pros and cons here, Scott. Uh we have some recent news about Apple's yeah, car. That's right, a new hiring. Uh, Porsche's technical director has moved over to the Apple Car program, and uh, or at least Apple, we should say. Yeah. <laughs> Project Titan, or if it's still around. Um, Alexander Hittinger. Yeah, this is the guy who helped design Porsche's new race car, the one that won Le Mans in 2016 and 2015. Hmm. Uh, Apple recently also acknowledged the Apple car because they wrote a letter to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the NHTSA, which you have heard Scott and I talk about before, uh, where they acknowledged that they were investing heavily in self-driving cars. This was a letter essentially begging regulators not to put too many restrictions on testing these cars just because somebody was new to the game. Ah, so they're saying they want uh, they want new entrants to the auto industry to have the same rights as everybody else who's already established. Right, okay. exactly. Got it. And so also uh, in a recent article just in December 2016 from Computer World, uh, someone points out that Apple and they say Google as well will abandon manufacturing plans and just start making operating systems. Hmm. Okay. Wait, did you say Google as well? That's what they. That's what they say. Oh, interesting. Now Google is the one that has that kind of uh, gumdrop-looking vehicle, yep, right? That yep. has no pedals, no steering wheel, <laughs> none of that. Right. That's a scary idea for a lot of people. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I think people want that. This reminds me of something that is a little bit tangential. So one of my friends works with an airline, and I was hanging out 
with them and some of their airline buddies. Is this snake bite? <laughs> this is not snake bite. Okay, good. <laughs> well, you never know. I'm not going to call it, a grown man snake bite. Well, it could be. <laughs> Maybe if they saved my life, I would yeah. be like, sure, I'll call you snake bite. Okay. But uh, – <laughs> That is your friend's nickname, right? <laughs> for anybody who ha- who doesn't understand this reference, for- please go back and listen to what was last week's episode. Oh, you know what? I think it. I think it made it into two. I think made it into two. I oh think gosh! So. Yeah, right. yeah, one for each fang. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but snake bite aside, no, these were people with completely legitimate names. Okay, and uh, and great people, and one of them has has an interesting position on the necessity of pilots. And he said, for commercial airlines, the pilot is there primarily to make the passengers feel better. Mm. And he said, yeah, there should be someone behind there in case something goes wrong. But it's if nothing goes wrong, it's simple enough that we could automate it. And I was on the side that we need to have a human in the cockpit. There. Absolutely. Don't you think so? Oh, absolutely, yes. Remember, what was it? Was it in New York or was it Jersey? It was somewhere northeast where the only reason that the people survived is because that pilot was able to heroically land. Uh, uh, Captain Sully. Yeah, right? yeah Captain yeah, he Sully. Landed, landed in the river. Yeah. And uh, you're right. That, that's not An autopilot's not going to do that for you. No, no. No, no that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that, that there has to be somebody at the controls. If, the, if they're not actually flying, at least somebody there that's capable of flying. And that goes back to, you know, the weird thing about the Google car. People need to have that, uh, need to have a visual understanding that if something goes uh, as the British might say, if something goes pear-shaped, then uh, the <laughs> the human the human element will be able to take over and save the day. I like that phrase, pear-shaped. If something goes pear-shaped. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure of the etymology. I hope I'm not saying anything incredibly crass. <laughs> so, you know what? I, this this again. This is the same thing though with with Uber and their self-driving vehicles in um, San Francisco. Right. Uh, we we mentioned we alluded to this earlier on that you know that the, they still have to have people you know on board. And by the way, another interesting little bit in that article was that they have had the same driver this autonomous program operating for months already in Pittsburgh. Had not I didn't have any yeah. idea that that was going on. But you know they just mentioned that kind of offhandedly like oh no we're not going to run it any different than we do Pittsburgh. And this is after they <laughs> and this is after the, you know they're running red lights on the first day in San Francisco. So um, heads up in Pittsburgh. No different from Pittsburgh. They already know it though, right? They right. already know what's going on. <laughs> so uh, this this brings us to uh, I guess we'll wrap up with a philosophical thing. Okay. Or a little more abstract. I know that. They're very, very smart people, much smarter than myself, at least. I can't speak for you, Scott, uh, who are working around the clock on this. But here's the thing. Apple has made a profitable practice off of what I would argue is planned obsolescence. And you know what planned obsolescence is, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they're designing something that they know in you know six months they're going to release the newest version and everybody's got to have that. Right. And it's not going to be compat- backward compatible with the other version. Right. So I don't want to, especially with something like a car, and people, companies increasingly try to shift consumers away from owning things and being able to fix and repair things into this disposable lifestyle or this sort of subscription lifestyle. Uh, I don't want to have a car that won't start, not because there's something mechanically wrong with it, but because I'm dodging some mandated 
uh, software update mm-hmm. that isn't necessary. Also, do you think people are going to camp out on the sidewalk to wait for the newest model to be released? <laughs> you know, that's a funny thought too, right? It's like, uh, you know, like are they going to wait in line 100 deep? Do you know to get the iDrive six, or, uh-huh. or then and then two months later the iDrive six S? Right. Where's this going? And <laughs> and that could be a possibility, right? The Sport, right? This iDrive six Sport. Yeah. So uh, it makes you wonder, like, are they going to have the same uh, rabid, you know, fans? For the the Apple Car, as they mm. do for their Apple electronic products, you know the handheld stuff. Now, I'll be frank here: if they make, if they get with McLaren or something, they make a badass, high performance vehicle, yeah. and it's good. You're camping out. Well, I'm going to camp out to look at it. <laughs> I probably won't be able to purchase one, yeah, but yeah. but I'm saying that like the market will respond to quality. Yeah, right? sure they will eventually. But I think in a niche market. If they have if they have something that is far superior, people will acknowledge that because that would be such a unicorn. That would be so rare. And yeah. I, I want to know from everybody else. Yeah, and again, we're getting back to the, the niche products like the Ferraris and the Porsches and stuff, you know, that, that have huge margins, you know, 50% margins versus, uh, you know, something that has those, those like they said, um, wafer-thin margins of, you know, like the uh, the everyday value cars, I guess, right. if you want to call them that. Sure. Um, I hate to say everyday value cars. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the I guess the uh, the daily drivers, you know, the uh, the bread and butter wagons. Sure. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I, I want to know, Scott, would you drive an Apple car? No. Okay, I figured. How about you? No. Okay. <laughs> and, All right. Well, there you go. So, uh, what about you, <laughs> listeners? If Apple came out with a car, would you would you give it a shot? And this is, you know, in no way us um, looking down on the fantastic track record Apple has as a tech company. It's just like the ex CEO said. It's it's a very very different endeavor. Yeah, and it's not for everybody. I mean, it's just something that I wouldn't have any interest in, really. I mean, yeah, on many many levels. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess it's up to you. I mean, you decide. But people, I think that love the iPhone and love their i products and are completely they're completely i connected. Yeah, uh, they would love something like this. Yeah. So we want to we want to hear what you think if you would if you would uh get one of these and what you see as the pros and cons and by way of example if you have not heard about this yet please check out our episode on Elio Motors uh did we have, do two Scott uh, we definitely did one uh, i think we did an update as well we did because an update. there was there's some later uh, some information that came about uh, right. maybe even this year i can't remember but yeah. uh, very recent and we've talked about McLaren too there's a mm-hmm. McLaren episode with mm-hmm. their rapid development i remember mm-hmm. um, um, also, the Faraday Future. Yeah, and the Faraday. Which, uh, is it? Is it a shell, shell company or is it not? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you never know. Well, we, Again, yeah. check out 68 Research and see what you think. Yeah, check it out. Let us know. You can find all those episodes we mentioned on our website, carstuffshow.com, where we have all the audio episodes we have ever done, even the stinkers. Uh <laughs> Yeah, there and there are a few. There, there. I hope our ratio is all right. Maybe this one. <laughs> you were really hating your jokes today. Oh yeah, that was a rough start, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry about that. That was a while back. I, I had almost forgotten. Thanks for bringing it up again. <laughs> You're welcome, Scott. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm here for. Uh, so we are going to head out. We will uh, see you next week. Uh, as we're recording this, we're uh, in the holiday season. As you're hearing this, and we want to wish a happy holiday to you and yours. Uh, We hope you're having a wonderful close of the year. Stay tuned. Uh, If you want to you want to find some more car stuff before we're back next week, please check us out on Facebook and Twitter. You can talk to us directly there. You can see all sorts of cool things that, for one reason or another, may not make it to air here on the show. And 
if you have an idea, uh, if you have a view on the Apple car, or uh, you have a pro or a con, a prediction, or a suggestion for something you think your fellow listeners should hear about in the future, let us know. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.